Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the new title for the podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. Women Worth Knowing is not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with the website Women You Should Know. Hello, this is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. We're getting better at saying our names, aren't we? Yeah, more smooth. Yes. (laughs) Wait, who am I? Yeah. With women, you should know. And we're so excited to bring you today's Mm. person you should know. And her name is Darlene Diebler-Rose. And Mm. I I was just, I read this book, I can't remember how many years ago, Mm. but it's called Evidence Not Seen. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I read it, I loved it. But you know, it's great because this is forcing us to rereads. Yes. And recap. Yep. Refreshers. And, it's great. And as I was going through it again, I was just like, oh, I forgot this and I forgot this and I forgot <laughs> this. And it was so good. And I was so encouraged. Mm. So I've been resisting telling Brian everything of, that I wanted to say today because <laughs> I was afraid like um, that he wouldn't listen. He likes listening to the podcast. Oh, yeah, he does. So I wanted yeah. to give him some surprises. So first of all, she was born May 17th, 1917. Mm. When she was nine years old, get this. She was listening to the radio, and she heard a pastor say. Now, Mm. she was a churchgoer, but her parents weren't, like, super churchgoers. Right. But she heard a pastor on the radio talking about Jesus Christ. Mm. And everything that he said about Jesus just made her heart long for Jesus. And she gave her life to the Mm. Lord right there um, in the room, in her home, while she was listening to this pastor. And then she kind of motivated everyone to start going to church. (laughs) And so by the time she was 10 or 11, she was at a church service and she heard a missionary speak and she heard about the mission field. And she Mm. said, Lord, I want to serve you with everything I have for the rest of my life. Just everything. I mean, at that kid, I love she knew that that's what she wanted to do with her life. So um, by the time she graduated early from high school, she started going to Bible college and preparing herself to go onto the mission field. And so one day there was a missionary that was speaking and his name was Russell Diebler. And she felt like he was staring at her, and it really made her uncomfortable. <laughs> Wait, how old was she? She's like 18. Ah, yes. Um, okay. Almost 19. And she's just really uncomfortable with the way he's kind of staring at her. And so she <laughs> decides she's just going to, you know, get away from him. And as she's like walking out of the service, this this woman grabs her arm and says, I want you to meet um, Russell Diebler. And he's like, oh, so glad to meet you. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> would, you, would you like to like talk or, you know, he's trying to, and she's like, you know, no, thank you. And then they, someone else introduces them. And, you know, he's like trying to signal to her to like, if she'll meet him right outside church and she's like shaking her head, no. And he's like pointing to the right, you know, trying to give her these hints. And she's like, no. (laughs) And so anyway, they end up talking and he says, you know, do you, do you have a, a, someone special in your life and she's like no I plan on being single all my life and going into the mission field because I just want to serve Jesus and he's like (laughs) okay but could we talk about that could I could we just get together and like for dinner and talk about the mission field and so she said you know all right so she said that she's with some girlfriends and all these girlfriends are swooning over him, how handsome he is. Well, like, funny. oh, Russell Diebler, did you see his eyes? Did you see this? And all of a sudden she thinks back and she's like, well, he was really good looking. And but he likes me. I know he <laughs> likes me. I could totally tell he likes me. And all of a sudden she's like, and I like him. And it was just like all of a sudden she realized that she she felt the same and that they had this shared 
mission. Mm. So they, they go out and he says to her, you know, I have to tell you this from the time I first saw you, the Lord said, that's to be your wife. And that's why I've been a little little aggressive, but I've already talked to your parents and they know. And she's like, okay. You know, she's like, that's great. You know, because now I know I really feel like the Lord put a love for you in my heart too. Mm. And then he said, how old are you? And she said, well, I just turned 19. He's like, oh no. (laughs) He was 31. He's 12 years older than she Yeah, quite a bit older. Yep. And he hadn't realized that, but she said, well, it doesn't matter if you didn't realize it, because didn't the Lord tell you I was yeah. the one? Isn't this the Lord? <laughs> so he's like, all right. So anyway, they get married hmm. and they end up going to Holland to study the Dutch language because they're first going to be ministering in Borneo and in Indonesia. Okay. Which is Dutch. Right. Or which is Dutch. Which is Dutch. Dutch, right. And so they go there and they're in school for six months. And he already knows some of the language, but she learns it really quickly. I mean, she's really brilliant. Wow. And she learns the language very quickly. In fact, she spoke like three or four languages. So they go to Indonesia. They meet all these missionaries and she just, she just loves it. And they meet these Bukars, which are like these hardworking, industrious, like amazing Christians, Mm. uh, Indonesian Christians that Mm. are just like, I mean, these guys carry machetes all the time with them and they're ready to like slice down a tree and make it into a canoe at a moment's notice. I mean, they're just genius. Hardcore. They're they're like engineers without degrees, you know, engineers with machetes. I mean, they're just (laughs) amazing. But then um, they're really feeling called to New Guinea. So they go to Western New Guinea, which is, of course, the Dutch owned it. And the mm-hmm. Dutch had won mm-hmm. it from the Portuguese. And so they go there and they they meet this man and his wife. And their names are, well, Dr. and Mrs. Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jeffries' two daughters are also serving in the mission field. And mm-hmm. Dr. Jeffries is an older man who's just like this amazing leader. And she mm-hmm. just... He and his wife are just like gold to her, mm. and she just loves them. And in the meantime, Russell ends up going into more of the interior up over the hills. What happened is these men were taking flights, reconnaissance flights, up over this area of New Guinea where this lake is to mm. see if it would be a place, you know, for an oil field or, you know, their operations. Oh, interesting. And they saw some ancient tribes that nobody had reached. Oh, so then the Dutch made inroads up there and put an outpost there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he goes to get there, and he's got to go by primitive ways, and he's going with carriers. And half of his carriers die, and they're trudging through uh, Whoa. Yeah. fields uh, of mud up to their chest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really awful. Mm-hmm. When he came back, so he was gone for three months. When he comes back, mm-hmm. he's got this fungus in his feet. And she has to peel back the skin and uh, do this ointment for him every night. But oh, she man. doesn't care because she loves him so much. And it's really painful. And she feels so bad so because she knows it's it's causing pain to him. But all he does is laugh and tell her how beautiful the people are and, you know, how excited mm. she's going to be when she finally gets to meet these people. Mm. So Dr. Jeffries walks in and sees her doing this. And he's like, he has to keep himself from throwing up. So he leaves and he writes an article about how those feet repulsed him. But the Lord spoke to his heart and said, but I love those feet. How Hmm. beautiful. Yes. How beautiful are the feet. Those who bring good news. I love that. So he makes another inroad then with the Bukars and the Bukars come over from Indonesia and they help him. And this time, like they find a better way to get to those people. And again, they get to this river, which before they tried to afford across the Mm -hmm. Bukars cut down trees and make canoes and they go down the river. Well, that would have been nice. Oh, it was amazing. (laughs) They cut down half the time. They made bridges over caverns. They found the fastest way and they would like 
make these bridges and throw ropes across so you could walk with ropes. And they would just do it like in record time. Amazing. And so it took them half the time to get there. But this time when Russell got up to these these people, they're like, you're spirit. We, we don't trust you. You're a spirit, you know. And he's like, I'm not a spirit. I'm a real person. They're like, was no. Because he was a white man? He just looked like well, that, a ghost? And he or... didn't have his wife. Because, ah. no, real men have wives. And right, you don't have, right. so you must be a spirit. <laughs> and he says, no, I have a wife. So he tells Darlene, you know, he goes back and he says, you have to go with me this time. And she was like, you know, can't wait, can't wait. <laughs> so in the meantime, while they're waiting, they felt then, oh, if he was a spirit, Probably those soldiers are spirits, too. So they decided the way to test to see whether these Dutch soldiers were spirits or not was to spear them. And if the spears went right through, they were spirits. But if the spears killed them, then they'd know they were men. Oh, man. So they attacked these men. Yikes. And they killed them. Hmm. And it was right after that that Darlene and Russell come to these people. Oh, wow. And they don't care. Because they just believe in these people. Mm. And she's she's now walking over all that territory, across those bridges that are mm-hmm. mossy, mm-hmm. taking those canoes, all of this to get to these people. And she can't wait. Mm. She absolutely can't wait. And so when she finally sees the village, she's up on top of this hill. She goes running down. Now, before with the Bukhar, he had built a, a house on stilts for them to live. And it was two rooms. And so anyway, she's so excited to make a house out of this place. And she's... She wakes up there first morning. She's just so excited, and she trips over something, and she realizes it's a little boy. And he he tells her in his language that he wants her to be his mother. His mother and father have died, Mm. and so he wants her to be his mother. And she falls in love with this little boy. She doesn't so have any children sweet. at this time. And she's only 20 years old. Yeah, she's very young. And so she yeah. takes this little boy as her own. And she just loves, she loves it. So mm. these people, New Guinea tribe, does not, well, they eat, they eat snakes and they oh, yeah. eat bugs, bugs and stuff. Yep. But their favorite thing is yams and cool. sweet potatoes. They grow over 40 varieties of sweet potato. And that's like her favorite thing to eat. These wow. people know nothing of the virtues of water except for to drink. So when Mm. they want to wash their hands, they spit on them. And when they want to do, when they take their baths, they spit on themselves and wipe it off. So there's this old lady who's one of the first to receive the gospel. And Darlene says she's one of the sweetest, oldest women, Mm. just loves the Lord. And Mm. everything they tell her about Jesus, she just takes it in like a sponge. And let me just say this real quick. All the people in this tribe have like holes in their septums of their nose and they would stick bamboo poles and all sorts of things but those bamboo poles they would pull it out and use it as straws or whatever they needed it for (laughs) so what they were doing by that and by the holes in their ears is they were making pockets on their body to hold instruments that they felt that they would need wow so she loves these people i mean she like loves these people she falls in love with them and this old woman wants to feed her a yam so she pulls it out of the ashes with her bare hand and it's all you know full of it so the lady begins to spit on it and clean it off and then gives it to darlene and darlene just eats it because she thinks that woman did it out of her love and Mm. you know she's not germaphobic at all i mean she did not practice social distancing yeah or yeah like hand sanitizer right none of that none of that was possible and yet yeah. she was so healthy and so was her husband hmm. well they begin to see these planes flying over and they get you know a little concerned and there's rumors of, of war hmm. what year was this this was 
this is 1938, 9? 1939. Oh, yeah. So okay. they're ordered to come back uh, to the base. And so they make this decision that they are going to, because the Japanese are making so many inroads, they've even begun to invade um, New Guinea. So they decide that they're going to pull back and they're going to go to Indonesia to where the base is, the big base is where, they, right. where they've got a lot of Christians. I mean, mm-hmm. here they don't mm-hmm. have Christians. They don't have kind support. of like a support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Dutch are leaving. The Dutch are vacating. So mm-hmm. they don't have the Dutch protection. Mm. But they will have Dutch protection in Indonesia. So they go to Indonesia again. And they're there in Indonesia. They're at the kind of the headquarters in Indonesia. As they're in the headquarters, they're in a place called Molino, the Japanese come and they invade. And at first, what they do is they let the missionaries, they kind of put them under house arrest. So they're all in on their compound. But what happened is where they had like a little house to themselves. Now there's like three families to a house and they're all sharing everything. They're sharing one bathroom, you know, like eight people to one bathroom. And then the Japanese refused to feed them. Mm. So all the food that they get, they have to either harvest it themselves Mm. or um, somebody has to bring it to them. And then they stop them from bringing them any food. So they're just they're just scrounging whatever they can because the Japanese will not give them any rations at all. And wasn't there at some point during this, I'm not sure exactly when, wasn't there an opportunity for them to yes. escape? But then right before they, this. Right. And then right they, before but this. they felt like the Lord told them to stay. It actually reminded me of a story of the Glovers who were in China during the Boxer Rebellion. And the Lord had spoken the same thing to them. And I remember Archibald Glover saying, like, we had to stay where the will of God had placed us. Okay. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. But they felt like the Lord told them not to go. Yeah. And the ship that they were supposed to be on was torpedoed and sank. And everybody died on that ship. Wow. So the only way of deliverance was on the ship that was sunk by torpedo. Wow. So that might have been it, too. Yeah. So then the Japanese come back and they take all the men away. So her husband is taken to a camp called Pari Pari. Looks like Perry Perry, but it's Perry Perry, and he's taken to this camp, and it's a prisoner of war camp, and that's where he is too. Mm-hmm. And so she can't, she doesn't hear from him, and you know all wow. of that. Doctor Jeffries is with them too, and so Do- mm-hmm. Doctor Jeffries, she's living in this this hut with Doctor Jeffries and his whole family, and so the Japanese come and they ask her, "Is Doctor Jeffries healthy?" And she said, "No, he's got diabetes," and she mm-hmm. starts saying all the things because they were walking. Dr. Jeffrey's pack and they thought, oh, he's got way too much medication. We don't want that on our shoulders. So they decide to, you know, no, we're not going to take him. Mm. So she goes in to tell Dr. Jeffrey's what happened. And he wasn't packing medicine. He was packing his cologne because he thought the smells will probably be bad. So oh, I want my, my cologne. Oh, my goodness. And they thought his cologne was medicine. So wow. they, they left him there in, well, the, in the compound. <laughs> so again, in the compound, things were rough. And mm. when I forgot this part because this is really important. When the Japanese first came in, it was the shock police. That's what they call them, the shock soldiers. Hmm. The shock soldiers are the ones that go in and shoot to kill everything. They're just going to kill everything in hmm. their tracks to take over the land. And they don't care about life or limb. And we even learned a little bit about that, about that with Gladys Aylward's story. Right. Like when the Japanese went into China. I mean, the same kind of thing, just, you know, very, mm-hmm. take no prisoners, brutal. Yeah. It's Merciless. Yeah. yeah. And so they were scared to death of the shock police, hmm. but the shock police were interested in moving on. So they kind of just quarantined them and and moved on to, you know, take over the rest of the land. So they, for a while they were living in that, then her husband was taken away. And then one day they came and they took Dr. Jeffries away and they took the the women to a a different camp in a place called Camp Pili. In Camp Pili, what they did is they took them to a tuberculous sanatorium. Mm. 
Mm. And there were like barracks there and there were some cement barracks and there were some it was all surrounded by barbed wire and there were some some other like bamboo structures okay. barracks yeah. and so anyway she was assigned as a leader now by this time she's only 25 and she's mm. assigned a barrack to be in charge of it and mm. mainly because she could speak indonesian she could speak so many different languages um she purposed that she wouldn't learn japanese because if she knew japanese she could be beaten because they would think she was overhearing their conversations or spy. So she purposely refused to learn it, even though there were some words she couldn't help but pick up. So now things get tougher in this. Uh, They're putting all the people to work, and they've got a piggery there. They've got, like, you have to knit socks for the Japanese soldiers. Mm. They have to do all this work. Mm. So she's assigned all these, these people. In fact, her barrack, number eight, they nicknamed Heinz 57 because they had so many different nationalities. Oh, wow. But because she could speak all these languages, she was the perfect person. So mm. she had Armenians. She had Dutch. She had French. She had all sorts of people in her barracks. And what she said to her barracks is, we're going to be unified. They're going to try to turn us on each other, and we've got to be unified. We've got to be kind to each other. We've got to practice this. So every morning, she would read the Bible with them, and she would pray for them and with them. Hmm. And she would check on each of them to know how they were doing. And Barracks 8 became famous, like infamous in the camp for their kindness, for Hmm. their their niceness and their cooperation with each other. Then all the other barracks wanted to start cooperating with their barrack. And so, again, though, they're like getting rice with worms in it. So what Hmm. they did is they learned to crush the worms and eat them as protein. They were so yeah, excited well, to just at least have rice. Yeah. <laughs> and they would find any type of protein that they possibly could. Now, the pigs were being Smart. raised for the, the Japanese commanders. And nobody but the commanders and the Japanese soldiers were allowed to have the pig. Mm-hmm. Everybody else had to have whatever it was. But they've got this one woman. And I can't remember her name, but she was in her 70s and she didn't have any teeth. But she was the most amazing person in the kitchen. She could make anything taste good. Wow. So they put her over the kitchen and everybody just cooperated with her. And they don't even know where she got those ingredients. She would just gather some trees and try all of this stuff. And it was just amazing. You probably didn't want to ask what it was. Yes. You just eat. And, That's right. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, they, they're... They, they're making the rice with kerosene cans, and sometimes the rice tasted like kerosene. And oh the water was from one well that they all had to walk to. And it was, I mean, she lost, like everybody lost like 80 pounds. They were oh. just shriveled up. And, yeah. you know, their clothes were really baggy on them. Mm-hmm. So she's in the camp, and the commander they were kind of getting used to, he was, he was hard, but they could work with him. Mm. When they got this one commander, a new commander, and they called him the maniac, he mm. was so mean, so wicked. And before he had come to their camp, he had beaten a man to death at Pari Pari, where her husband was. And he was known for beating this man to death. And a wrong answer or a wrong look or anything, Mm. uh, any infraction at all, would get you beaten. And he would hit you with his cane. Uh, Mm. Any place he felt like it. He would just come in and, wow. The women. Well, it was mainly women. There were a couple Mm -hmm. teenage boys and young men, but little boys. But other than that, it was all women. And especially those who in charge of barracks were really in trouble. And he would just beat them and, you know, breaking ribs, internal bleeding. They had a doctor mm. on the base, but it was really, really hard. And she she had to report everything to him. And she but she was so industrious and her barracks was so healthy that it began to outshine all of this. Mm. But at one point, and I can't remember what her infraction was, I think she answered him wrong and he got upset. He really beat her hard. Mm-hmm. So one day this priest who 
came from Paripari came into camp. Reason the priest was brought to this camp, uh, Kampili, was because he was a butcher. He had been a butcher, and he was super good with pork, knowing how to kill hey, pork. Okay. And the Japanese needed him to, you know, take care of their pork. The soldiers needed that, so they send him there. So all the women are crowding around him because they want news of their husbands. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. all asking, and the Lord speaks to Darlene and says, "Don't ask him anything. Don't approach him. Just give him time." Oh, that would have been hard. So she waits and she waits and yeah. she waits, and three months later, this woman comes up to her. And says, I've been given permission to tell you your husband is dead and he died three months ago, Mm. um, over three months ago. And she's just like, you know, in shock. And the priest said, I wasn't allowed to tell you. They would have beaten me Mm. and probably beaten you if I had told you. We were on strict orders that we couldn't tell, but your husband died of dysentery. (sighs) And she's just, you know, she wants to grieve. But the Lord speaks to her and says, she remembers the words of Dr. Jeffries before she went into this camp. Mm. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so she says, Lord, make me a good soldier. This is so hard. Mm. So then the maniac, and that's what I'll call him, the maniac calls her into the office. And I'm skipping so many awesome stories. But the maniac <laughs> calls her one, into the office. And he says, you know, many Japanese women have lost their husbands. You know, I don't want to see you cry because, you know, our women are in pain. And she says, I know that. I know that, sir. I believe you. And she's a little bit scared. Mm-hmm. And she said, but I, I have sorrow, but not like other people. Because I know I'm going to see my husband again. Mm. And she shares the gospel with Mr. Maniac. And she even says to Commander Maniac, (laughs) I forgive you for everything because the love of Jesus Christ causes me to forgive you and even love you. Because Mm. And it's not mine. And I couldn't do this without Jesus Christ. But Mm. this is what it is done. And this is why I read the Bible. And he just... He listens to her. She sees tears in his eyes, and he leaves the room. Hmm. And you're not allowed to leave unless the commander gives you attention. But she she waits there an hour. Then it's an hour and a half, and finally she knows she's got to get to her work. So she leaves, Hmm. and there's no mention of this again. But man, but the power. (laughs) Oh, I'm not finished with that story. That's got a part two. Yeah, 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 definitely. We'll get back to that. So anyway, after this, she is taken then into... She's accused. All the American women are t- then taken out of this camp, and they're taken into the worst camp of all. It's it's by the secret police. What mm-hmm. the Japanese equivalent of the Gestapo take her, okay. yeah. and they beat her every other day. They take her. They put her in solitary confinement. And if mm-hmm. she thought the mm-hmm. conditions in the first camp were bad and they were terrible, mm. flies. In fact, at one point, the maniac had said that if they didn't catch a hundred flies a day, they would be beaten. Yeah. So they're trying to catch a hundred flies like, yeah, how besides track of all <laughs> of their work. He would count them. Oh my and gosh. you never knew which person he'd choose to count. Right. And if they chopped their flies in half to make it look like more, they'd be beaten. This is the maniac. This Bizarre. is the man she's just told the gospel yeah. to. Yeah. And so now she's transferred mm-hmm. to this really bad prison. And one of the things they would do is they would chop you at the neck. In right. fact, three or four times she thought they had broken her neck, but mm-hmm. they hadn't. It was just how painful it was. Ugh. Or they would thump you or you know on the forehead which was super super painful Mm. so she just keeps asking the lord make me a good soldier make me a good soldier yeah and i and i i read too where uh, every time they would thump her on the forehead it would give her black eyes yes i mean it was just so hard the the force i was like wow yes yes in fact one of the women philomena who had gone into the camp with her went crazy went (sighs) absolutely insane and the other woman she wasn't quite 
able to connect with. And they knew they were there, but they didn't dare talk to each other because they were so scared of the beatings that they were receiving. I mean, Mm. they were really bad. And Mm. at this time, being all alone and the fear and everything, she didn't have her Bible. So she just had to remember scripture and remember songs. She couldn't even sing out loud because she could be beaten for singing Mm -hmm. or or talking. Mm -hmm. In fact, one day in her room, she found a knife. And she just knew that they had planted it there to either arrest her and be able to behead her because that's really what they wanted to do. They wanted to have a reason for beheading her. Mm. And they accused her of all sort of of espionage. And one one Chinese man falsely accused her just so he could, you know, be set free and, Mm. and not be in trouble. And so anyway, during that time, she got malaria, dysentery, and one other, oh, beriberi, mm, um, mm-hmm. which is a, a vitamin uh, B and deficiency, C deficiency, right? So anyway, so the commander, the maniac, comes to that camp and he talks to these men. And she doesn't know what they say, but the next day in her room, there are 92 bananas. She had prayed that the Lord would give her one banana. Mm-hmm, She's got 92 mm-hmm. bananas. So not too long after that, they take her out and they say, we're going to kill you. And the this secret police is just drawing his hand across his neck. We're going to kill you. But instead, they end up taking her back to uh, Campili, and she Mm. becomes the barrack head, and then she becomes head over everyone. They're watching these planes, these Allied planes fly over, and they open the gates, and they think they're going to be free, but no, they're there with bayonets and everyone ready to kill them, and they take them deeper into this jungle, into this these really bad camps where they live, and they're there until they're set free. And then they're set free. And when they're set free, she said, there's no like, you know, no allies marching in. It's just this one Australian comes in. He's negotiating with the Japanese and he's like, follow me. And they walk out and they get in the back of these trucks and they're taken to Hmm. freedom. And then she's put on an aircraft carrier. Then she's taken to Australia. And then, you know, she makes her way back to the the United States. But I want to say this. Hmm. She finds out that the maniac, has given his life to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He became saved. So that's an excellent story. But when she gets back to San Francisco, she has no way to get in touch with her parents. She doesn't even know where they live. So through a series of incredible, just how God works, Mm. her parents get in touch with her through the Red Cross, and she finds out that they're living in Oakland, California, not in Ohio. So she goes to Oakland and ends up reuniting with her parents. Mm. Then there's a man, he's a pastor, Mm. and he wants to go on the mission field, and his name is Gerald Rose, Mm. and he wants to go on the mission field, so he wants to interview her to find out about the the people that she had right, been in. And, yep. and so in New Guinea, and she says, oh, I want to go there someday. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, she falls in love with Gerald. Oh, yes. She and Gerald get married. They go to the very place where she had been with Russell, and they end up ministering. And that little boy that she knew was now nine, and he still calls her mom. Mm. And they, she raises him. She has two boys. I can't remember Bruce, and I can't remember the name of the other one, but she raises her boys on the mission field. Wow. And they served there until in 1978. They were called to um, the interior, the outback of Australia. And wow. she and Gerald served there. And then they moved back in 2003 because she had dementia on mm. the onset of dementia. They're in their 80s. Mm. They moved to Tennessee, and she dies in 2003. Wow. But one of the other things that's really interesting is Towser, A.W. Towser, was mm. really, really close with her. Really? Uh, they corresponded, and they were friends. And so they're mm. like, in the book, 
there are quotes and things that he said to her after she came back um, from the mission field the first time just to minister to her when she would go on furlough. And she considered mm. Towser her pastor. Her pastor. I love that. Isn't that? It's so that's, amazing. it's like the, the book, Evidence Not Seen, is so riveting. Like you yeah. can't put it down. It's so good. It sounds and like the there's stories. a lot more there that, yeah, so much. definitely. I was so brief. But so, but so amazing. And the fact even that she would go back to the place that had been so crazy yep. the first time. I mean, there's just so much in there. Of how so, God moved it's, so yeah. much. And I really think that Darlene Diebler Rose is a woman that everyone should know. Absolutely. So thank you for joining us on this last edition about Darlene Diebler Rose. This is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut saying, until we can introduce you to another friend. Yes. We'll absolutely. see you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter or Facebook. If you have a woman we should know about, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WYSK at CCCM.com. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast available now on any streaming service. Thank you again for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.